Hello and how are you doing? My name is Shell Njogo, host and producer of Swan Podcast and I am so elated to have you here. I'll not have a long introduction since the episode is long enough. Just a warning though, my voice it's quite morphed. It's clear, it's you can hear it, it's audible the audio is clean just that it's morphed i think i was too close to the mic or something i don't know what happened i realized it when i was editing the podcast i hope it will not be a put off plus i'm not talking for uh, the longest period honest is so just bear with that part of the sound uh so today's episode we are going to talk about last and i couldn't have thought of a better person to have this discussion with other than Ernest Wamboe his online ministry has been such a great gift to me and i'm sure to many young men and women in kenya and also globally we have never met yet he was so incredibly kind to me to share his time with me to discuss his book last and in the city Ernest is a disciple of Jesus Christ a husband a father an author and a minister of the gospel he has been married to his lovely wife Waturi since September 2012 and together they have two daughters Ernest and his wife are the founders of the Relationship Center, a ministry whose purpose is to promote biblical family values. Ernest also runs a pornography addiction recovery program for men called Powerhouse and him and his family fellowship at Sitam Valley Road. And you are most welcome to listening to our conversation. Our first the first thing that we shall look at is God and sex. And mm-hmm. it's interesting where I'm going to read the book of Genesis chapter 3 verses 1, the last mm-hmm. part where the devil asked you did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden and so i put it did god say that you should not have sex and <laughs> uh, because i think we look at god and we look at sex and we think that um they are separated so let's talk yes. about god and sex all right so um god created sex as a gift and he gave that gift to humanity to our first parents adam and eve and um it's interesting that god gives this gift of sex to humanity in the context of marriage if you read genesis chapter 2 um we are given a more detailed perspective of the creation story chapter 1 gives us an overview but chapter 2 gives us detail and we realize that the gift of sexuality was given to adam and eve when they came together in holy matrimony and we are told that they were they came together united and they became one flesh and we are told they were both naked and they felt no shame so sex is a good thing all right 
And much earlier in chapter 1, God gives them the command explicitly, be, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I don't know how they're going to do that. Cell division? Absolutely not. No, they're going to do that through the beautiful act of sex. And God is for sex. God created this gift of sex. And God wants us to enjoy this gift of sex as he made it in the right context. But everything that God made is often perverted by the enemy. And the enemy takes the beautiful gift of sex and he turns it into rape, he turns it into defilement, he turns it into pornography, he turns it into self-pleasure, he turns it into all these things that actually work against human beings. And because all those things that work against human beings in the name of illicit sex or corrupted sex, um, many people tend to have a negative view when you think about sexuality. And yet that was not God's initial plan. God's initial plan was that this is a good, great thing, uh, but sin destroyed and broke our world. It's also important to note that there are some cults that teach that, uh, that, that, that the sin that Adam and Eve committed by eating the fruit is that they had sex. That is not true. That is not true. They, they say that when Eve, Adam and Eve were told um, do not eat the fruit that's in the middle of the garden, that that was, a sim that was symbolism or that was a, a euphemism for having sex. That is not true. There are other cults that even teach that Satan had sex with Eve and they gave birth to a child, and they have, I mean, they are just cults. That's why they are cults, because they disagree with the truth of the scripture that is plain for all of us to see. So sex is a great thing. It's a good thing. God made it, and we ought to pursue it in the right context that he's given us, and that's the institution of marriage. Yeah, I think it's important that we get that first before we get into this topic. Um, yes. So the next thing is, the holiness of God. Why are we? Why is God so against uh, fornication, adultery? Uh, why is He against masturbation, watching porn? Why? Mm. Let's look at God's holiness and mm. and look at last. Why? Yeah. Let's let's explain God's holiness. Alright, so uh, we're going to talk about God's holiness in light of sexual activity. So everything that God made has a purpose. Everything that he made is meant to function in a certain way. Just the same way we as human beings, when we make a screwdriver, we use it to drill screws. We don't take a screwdriver and put it on a dining plate for you to eat your cereal. You cannot eat your cereal with a screwdriver. That is not its purpose, alright? Whenever you misuse anything and whenever you use it for its for another purpose other than its intended purpose we call that abuse okay to abuse is to take something and use it for a different purpose or to destroy it by using it for a different purpose all right and so god's purpose for sex was one within the covenant of marriage we see that very clearly in genesis 2:24 to 25 that he has given them this gift as a as a covenant for marriage now why is that so this is because sex is very powerful. And Genesis 2.24 gives us a glimpse of the power of sex. It says, the man and his wife were united and they became one flesh. Now, perhaps if you read that for the first time, you don't see the power of sex. But if you go much later to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, you see what Paul the Apostle says. He talks about the sexual activity between a man and a prostitute. And he says, when a man and a prostitute have sex, they become one flesh. He uses the same term that God uses in Genesis 2.24. Now, why is that? 
they are telling us that the relationship between Adam and Eve and the relationship between a man and a prostitute have got something in common. That's the act of sex. And we're being told that the sex is so powerful that it's more than a physical act. It unites these people on the soul and at the spirit level. That's what one flesh means. One flesh means that you are bonded on all levels of you. And we know that humanity is made up of three parts. First Thessalonians 5.23 tells us that we are spirit, we are soul, and we are body. When you get involved sexually with someone, it's not just your physical body that's involved. It's not just like shaking hands. Your body is involved, yes, but also your soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions are tied to this person. That's your spirit, your innermost consciousness is tied to this person. And because of that, sex is very powerful. And you find that when you get involved with someone sexually, it has the capacity to leave you with certain baggage or certain memories way longer than you hope for. And so because of that, God says this powerful, intimate gift ought only to be reserved for someone you're going to spend the rest of your life with. It is not like shaking hands. It is not like giving a high five. It is not an, an, an easy, in, 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 an intimate activity. It is the most intimate activity between two human beings. And God says, reserve it for that institution of marriage. Because if you do it outside the institution of marriage, what happens is that you begin to corrupt your own soul. You begin to corrupt your own body. And so when people say, oh, Ernest, um, you know, we can fornicate because I'll use a condom. You tell them there's no condom for your soul. All right. There's no condom for your spirit. You cannot protect yourself from the repercussions of sex when it comes to your soul and your spirit. Fine, you can get rid of the physical consequences, but you must understand that sex is a very powerful, powerful, powerful act. And so God's will, God's holiness is that his, this beautiful gift of sex be done within the confines of marriage. Now, perhaps to drive a point a bit further, I'll use an analogy that I like to use when I teach. That imagine a fireplace in a, in a house and the fireplace um, has a place where you put the wood, you light the fire and the fire burns up the wood and the smoke goes up the chimney. Now, when you look at the average fireplace, you will notice that there's a boundary where the wood is meant to stay. If you drag the wood beyond the boundary of the fireplace, fire can travel from the fireplace across the wood. And if that wood is touching the, car the carpet, it can get to the carpet and to burn the carpet. And from the carpet, it can burn, it can move on to the to, it can move on to the chairs, from the chairs to the pillows, from the pillows to the curtains, the curtains to the whole house. A whole house can be brought down by one piece of fireplace, by one piece of firewood that is out of place. Your sexuality is like that fire. God wants the fire to burn. What's the purpose of the fire? To warm the house. The purpose of the fire is to make the house warm. The fire is good. But if you abuse it, if you take it outside the fireplace, outside the covenant of marriage, that fire will travel and that fire will burn things it was not meant to burn. That fire will no longer warm the house, it will burn down the house. And that's what kind of happens with our sexuality. When we ignore the commands of God, we go ahead and we burn down the house, we don't warm the house. And that's why Paul the Apostle says, every other sin a man commits is outside their body. But whoever sins sexually burns his own house, all right? That's my own words, but he actually says he sins against his own body. Sexual immorality is a kind of sin that is self-destroying. It is almost like self-suicide. It's almost like soul suicide, spirit suicide. And so God's holiness requires sex to be an act of giving to one another. And perhaps the final point for that is that, that sex within God's covenant is meant to be a selfless act. In marriage, 
you have waited, you have not gone into your evil desires, you have not given into impatience, you have not given into the fruit of the flesh, you have actually exercised love. And love is patient, so you waited until marriage. Okay, love is kind, so you've thought about this person. And love is love, love is committed to the other person. It is other centered. And when you get into marriage, that kind of sex focuses on the other person. But when you fornicate, many a times you're only following your own impulses, your own desires, your own wants, your own, and it's very me-centered. It's very me-centered. It is not selfless, it is not love, it is very selfish, and it is antithetical to what. Christianity is all about. The gospel tells us that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and in a selfless way, he gave up his body on the cross for our sins for us to die. When we honor God with our sexuality, we are honoring Christ who gave up his own body for us on the cross. We are giving up our own body for the sake of our spouses. And you need to understand that marriage is like that relationship between Christ and the church. As Christ gave up his body for the church, so can we give up our body for our spouses, especially as men. We give up our bodies for our spouses as an act of worship to God. This pleases him. This honors him. Every other sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage is against our body, is against love, and is against the worship of the God who died on the cross for our sins. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, something very interesting is that for the Christians who are heterosexual, they feel like as long as my I am pointing at that man and I'm saying he's handsome and everything, or for a man he's saying that girl or the other and the other, then we feel like we are much better than those who are caught up in their homosexuality last. Um, and yeah, we feel like we are much better while it's last. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak into that. Um, first of all, you need to understand that um, we don't get to define what last is. God gets to define what last is. Uh, in our own human understanding, we'll say we've not slept around, we've not made out with strangers, we've not slept with prostitutes. Surely we are virgins, we are pure, we are righteous. God bless us, you know. God, on the other hand, says, you know what, how about you use my definition of lust? What does he say? Jesus came and he shattered the categories that we had. He said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Don't sleep with another man's wife. Don't sleep with another woman's husband, all right? Don't take someone else's spouse. That's adultery. Don't, 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 don't get sexually involved with them. He says, that's what you've heard. But I say unto you, Jesus said, if anyone looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he has committed adultery. Jesus Christ brings down the standard of purity, or rather raises the standard of purity, not to mere intercourse, but he brings it to, the thought, to our thought life. He's basically saying the quality of your thought life is the quality of your purity. And he's saying if your thought life is bad, guess what? Then you are not, you are not moral, you are not walking by God's standard. So we human beings often have what we call, what I like to call a spectrum of sexual sin. We have a list. We say, all right, so perhaps the, perhaps, uh, the most immoral thing um, someone will do is this, and then the least moral thing is this. So um, 
the, the least immoral thing is this. So we, we kind of have a spectrum. We say, okay, so on level one, you've got, you know, making out with your boyfriend, all right? You know, I shouldn't be doing that, really. I should stop. Then you've got sleeping with your golf boyfriend or sleeping with your girlfriend. Then you've got uh, sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend and cheating with them. Then the next level you've got, okay, sleeping with your boyfriend and girlfriend, cheating with them and going out and doing all these funny things, all right? And then there's, oh, yeah, adultery. Take it spouse, you know, sleeping with them. Then there is, um, yeah, um, maybe that's what's from there. We say incest, you know, not sleeping with your relatives, you know. They go like, ah, now sleeping with animals, you know. They go like, oh, man, you know. And, and keep graduating this list until you get to what we call, what, what we imagine as the worst, most, worst the, the most the most deplorable sexual scene, you know. The problem with that is that you put yourself on that list and there's someone ahead of you, there's someone who's always been better than you, but that's not where we always face. We normally look behind us. We say there's someone who's been worse than me. And we normally use that person who's been worse than me to feel good about ourselves. We say, oh, okay, fine. Yes, my girlfriend and I are sleeping around, but oh my goodness, at least I'm not cheating on them, like so-and-so. And that is what the Bible calls hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. God defines sexual sin and it is up to us to bow down to his standard. When we don't bow down to his standard, we make up our own ideas of what sin is. We can even end up making up what God accepts or not. And we, by doing that, we break the commandments. The, the, the commandments said you shall not make any God in your own image. So um, the scriptures are clear. And the scriptures are clear that sex is between one man, one woman. Heterosexuality is God's way. We ought to say that. We ought not to be ashamed. We live in a culture that is afraid to say that because you're thinking, oh, we'll offend someone who's homosexual. We'll offend someone who doesn't agree with us. No, it, it's, it's, not, it's not we who get to determine. We bow down to God's standard and we say, this is God's plan. This is God's will. Secondly, all sexual activity is within the covenant of marriage. If it is out of the covenant of marriage, it's equally sin. And so when we bow down to God's standard, we realize that, first of all, we all fall short of God's glory. And then we take it a level higher and say, our thoughts ought to be pure. Our thoughts ought to order the Lord. Then now there, you're talking about real sanctification. You're talking about real submission to God, real turning to the cross, real, <laughs> real submission to God and actually asking, does the cross of Jesus Christ have an impact on me this much? That my thoughts, that no one, has, no one is privy to, only God, really disturb me if they stray. That's what we ought to look at. Yeah, and I'll connect that point with something that I found uh, that we share the same sentiments with, or I felt the same um, while I was walking through the journey of uh, sanctification and repenting and everything. You wrote, I knew I boasted to be a virgin, but in the light of truth, I was a war at heart and yeah. <laughs> and for me i had written the uh the um, on my notes that watching porn is another form of prostitution so when i saw that you that you are boasting to be a virgin but you know you were a war at heart i felt yeah. yes that's how i felt <laughs> and then you go yeah. on to say that the enemy does not respect your virginity. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. It's true. And and that, that comes from my book, Last on the City. I struggled with pornography and masturbation uh, in my in, in my time in campus. And it really, really destroyed me. It really almost even made me end my relationship with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And um, 
I remember those are part of me. Those are those those are those are hypocritical side of me that kept feeling like ah, well I'm still a virgin. I'm I'm okay. I'm doing alright. But the more I spent time with the Lord and the more I submitted to Him, the more I understood. Hey, it's not just about virginity. You know, a friend of mine called um a friend of mine. What's what's her name? Ah, I forget her name. She's written a book. Being a virgin is not enough. Uh, Chadia, Chadia Makurin, she's written a book, Being a Virgin is Not Enough. And she's basically saying, um, we ought to stop shooting low. <laughs> we ought to stop shooting low. You can actually remain a virgin until marriage because of circumstances. You know, you can be in a workplace that is only dominated by your gender. And then you are sent to a foreign country where no one talks to you. And then you work at an oil rig in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And then you come back home <laughs> and ready to marry. And yes, you're a virgin. But have you really kept your virginity out of worship to God? Or have you really done it simply because of circumstances? Or simply because of fear? Or simply because of pride? You're trying to show that you're better than others. And that was me. I kept feeling like, oh, I'm better than others. I'm not slept around. But I was a whore at heart. I was a whore at heart. My, my, my thoughts were dirty. My entertainment was disgusting. I watched nudity on screen. You know, I watched those movies. If, if a movie did not have a sex scene, I was very disappointed. I wanted to see men and women in bed. You know, uh, I hated clean movies. You know, when men and women were making out on, on TV, I liked it. When they cut short the making out, I felt disappointed. Where are they going on? And the Holy Spirit was convicting me, saying, Anes, look at you. You're actually even rejoicing with immorality. There's a place where the Bible says in First Corinthians 13 that love rejoices with the truth. I'm not rejoicing with the truth. The more I watch this entertainment, the more I rejoice with carnality. There's also that part in Proverbs 6 where the Bible says there are seven things that the Lord hates. And one of the things that the Lord says that he hates, I believe it is number five. He says he hates feet that are quick to rush towards evil. My feet were always quick to rush towards evil, quick to rush towards the next entertainment. And I got to a point I asked myself, am I really born again? Am I really a Christian, you know? Because um, I, was, I, I, I got to a point where uh, my conscience was slowly dying. And so um, I had to get to the point where I had to say, you know what? God's definition is the most important. And it all began with the cross. I had to see what Christ did on that cross for me to kind of revitalize me, to kind of just reset me and to understand that... Uh, <laughs> Um, my heart needed to change even though I was physically a virgin. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, something, I want to connect two points here where I want you to discuss idols and lust. It's also in your book. And because I found something very interesting in the beginning of the book where you have said that that some believers believe that it's okay to have sex before marriage. And you actually did a questionnaire or a fact finding. And these, these are facts that some Christians think that it's okay. As long as I am engaged to them, then we can have sex. But why, why is there such compromise within Christians? All right, so um, I, I did a little study at the beginning of the book and I just asked a few questions. And the reason why you find people who profess to be Christians are disagreeing with the Bible, you know, is because, first of all, we've got what we call nominal Christians. People who think they are Christians, but in truth, they are not Christians. And Paul the Apostle warned us about this. He wrote to the Corinthians and he told them in Second in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see if you're truly in the faith. 
you can be uh, jumping, screaming, saying all the right things, praise the Lord, quoting the right scripture, and think that you are born again. And you may think that, oh, I go to church, that makes me a Christian. Going to church does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a vehicle. All right? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And so you find that there's a lot of deception today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said that you have been deceived, Corinthians. If someone else comes and preaches another Jesus, gives you another spirit, gives you another gospel, you easily believe it. And he says, why would you reject the true Jesus, the true Holy Spirit, and the true gospel? And you find that there are a group of people who've grown up listening to another Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible, not biblical Jesus. They listen to feel-good Jesus. They listen to a Jesus who caters for all their needs. They listen to a Jesus who is a butler. They've received a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit. They receive spirits that come from New Age, that come from yoga, the Kundalini spirit, that come from uh, Eastern mysticism, that come from many other kinds of religions, Islam. They receive spirits that come from compromise. And then they've got a different gospel. They listen to the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement. These people that pray that and say that, you know, if you have faith in God, you'll be materially wealthy and physically healthy all the time. And so they've subscribed to a false view that has been brought about by false teachers. And they think because they've subscribed to that, that they're part of the church. They are not. And you may find that perhaps they even serve in church. They serve in ministry. And when they serve in church, you may find that even God uses them and uses them to bless other people. And they think we are in. Jesus said there'll be a rude shock on the day of judgment in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 7. He said they will stand before him and they'll say, uh, Lord, Lord, here we are. We've come to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You know, he does not say, you know, I kind of knew you and then you backslid. You abandoned me. Uliniruka. No, he says, I never, never, ne never means not ever, Shelmith. <laughs> never means you're not even an ex. This relationship never started in the first place. It is possible to be deceived that you're in the faith and you're not. Test yourself. Have you believed the true gospel? The gospel that says Christ has come to redeem us from our sins. Christ has come to save us from our sins. Have you believed the one and true Jesus? And have you received the one and true Holy Spirit? If you have, one of the things that will stand out in you is fruitfulness. And what does fruitfulness mean? Fruitfulness means that you agree with the Lord. You are willing to submit to the Lord. A truly regenerate Christian will not desire to satisfy their own desires at the expense of their Lord and Master. They will desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So that's one, that's one of the reasons. Secondly, we've got Christians who know the truth, but they live in fear. They live in fear of what others will say. And so they have grown in environments where they're afraid of speaking the truth because the truth is unpopular. The truth is not, they'll get cancelled. They're afraid of the cancel culture. And because of that, you find that they don't speak up and say the truth, and yet they ought to say the truth. And then finally, you've got um, <clears throat> believers who know the truth. Uh, they want to get out of the truth, but they are struggling. They are struggling with sexual sin. They know it's wrong. They admit it's wrong. They know they should stop. But you find that they are hooked. You know, they, they, are, they are involved in sin. And because of that, uh, they, they can't stop. And the reason they are struggling is because they are in secrecy. And so you find in that questionnaire, they may have answered yes, because they are trying to justify themselves. But they know deep down it is wrong. And they're trying to get out. And for them, we would just say to them, um, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is full of compassion. The Bible says in James 5, 16, confess your sins <clears throat> one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
When you confess, you will be surprised the amount of love and grace that God will pour out to you. Such people, the, the, the enemy lies to them. If you confess, you'll be judged. If you confess, you'll be cast away. If you confess, you'll be rejected by the church. It's not true. If you confess, you'll be accepted, you'll be redeemed, you'll be restored. So these are just some of the reasons that put people in those positions. But number one is the key reason. Um, false believers, uh, false converts, nominal Christians. Yeah. Yeah. What about now idols? And last, the what yes. we place. Yeah. Aha. So that, that, that falls now under the third category. People who um, they know the truth. They know that uh, sexual sin is wrong, but they are stuck. You know, uh, what is an idol? An idol, if I could define an idol, an idol is a God substitute. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. An idol is anything that replaces the sovereignty of God in your life. This is something that you run to when you are in need. You don't run to God. This is something that you run to to receive comfort. You don't run to God. And an idol could be anything. An idol could be good. An idol could be a good thing. An idol could be uh, entertainment. You could find that your idol is entertainment. It's your everything. And you know, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, the Lord commanded them to destroy the Canaanites because the Canaanites had worshipped idols and they had set up altars and those idols were dedicated to certain gods. They were told to tear down those idols, tear down those structures. When the kings um, in the book of in, in the book of First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles were bringing reformation, kings like King Josiah, one of the main things they did is to tear down the altars and the idols that were dedicated to other gods, because there was one God, and the Bible says that the Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and men. That's First Timothy chapter two, verse five, Ch chapter two, verse five. Right? There is one God. So an idol is anything that is so precious to you that you run to it to receive acceptance, affirmation, and appreciation, and that is what. Uh, sex often does because perhaps you've grown up in an environment where maybe your parents had a tough relationship with you, you don't feel accepted, affirmed, loved. You look to sex because sex makes you feel accepted. This other person accepts you, you know, it gives you some form of pleasure, so you feel loved, you know, uh, it gives you some sort of uh, you feel appreciated because this person always says these things to you. And you realize that you don't want to break free because that because your soul is getting a high from these things that you're not getting elsewhere. Now, the idol must be torn down and for you to understand that the highest form of acceptance, the highest form of appreciation, and the highest form of affirmation is found in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus accepts you despite your sins. Christ Jesus sees you in all your sins and he says, I accept you, I even die on the cross for you. The highest form of affirmation comes from the Son of God. He says he loves you. He leaves heaven to come all the way to love you. Uh, he dies for you. Your boyfriend can't even faint for you. <laughs> all right? He, he gives you the utmost respect. He gives you the name that is above every other name. He makes you sit with him in heavenly places. Your girlfriend can never afford you a title or respect of that kind. And then he appreciates you. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He loves you. He gives you new life. He gives you his Holy Spirit. Imagine his Holy Spirit living inside of you, living. Imagine God inside of you. It's the wonder of the ages. God inside of you. What kind of treasure is that? You are given the utmost appreciation, affirmation, and acceptance from your Father in heaven. And when you grasp that, every idol, every idol falls off. When Jesus was on earth, he had that. In Mark chapter 1, verse 11, the father says to Jesus, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Those three things are telling Jesus that all that he needs is found in the father. You are my son. You are accepted. 
whom I love, you're affirmed. In whom I'm well pleased, I appreciate you. Jesus, get, Jesus Christ gets his form of appreciation, affirmation, and acceptance from his Father in heaven. And he's doing that as a template for us to understand that we will only be satisfied and full to the max when we get that source of acceptance, affirmation, and appreciation from our Father in heaven. All other idols will fall out. There's a hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full to his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Even the idol of sex can grow strangely dim in the light of God's wonderful mercy and grace. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I've, uh, when I've heard you talking about that, I've been reminded of Abraham. When before he was Abraham, God said that um, He called him His righteousness. Yet in the next chapter, that's where He sleeps with uh, His wife's servant uh, to get a mm-hmm. child. Yet God called him righteous even before. Mm-hmm. And yet God knew very well that he would commit that sin. But God um, God affirms, affirms us, and that's what I've gotten from that, that we don't need to fight that hard. God knows us. He knows our folly and our everything, yet he calls us his righteousness through Christ Jesus. It's true. It's yeah. true. And, and, and you understand that uh, uh, Abraham was righteous, on account of his faith, all right? It, he was not righteous on account of his moral performance. Uh, it is by faith that he was credited the righteousness. And even though he did fall, you realize that he's restored by God, by grace through faith. And it's also a picture of what happens to us, that we are righteous because of faith. We are saved by grace through faith. And uh, we fall short of God's glory, but God redeems us. And his son, Jesus Christ, is the standard. In a sense, you could say Abraham and everyone in the Old Testament were saved by Jesus looking forward to by, by looking forward to Jesus. We are saved by looking backward towards the death of Christ. Christ's death is the central point for all of us believers. And because of him, we can all be credited the righteousness that he lived. And he takes up our punishment. He takes up the wrath of God that we deserve. And because of that, Christ is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And God is not ashamed to call us his sons and his daughters. We are accepted by grace through faith and our sins are washed away. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, there is something that you mentioned in your book also about last. And, and I think it starts from compromising where you mentioned about a string, one single strand of a string tying your hand. It's so easy mm-hmm. to break out. But when that cord uh is on a loop over and over um in your hands then it's hard to break out and that is the same way with last you start with something small something compromising Mm -hmm. such as reading a book or um looking at pictures and then before you know it you're caught up in in pornography and masturbation Mm -hmm. or whatever thing it is um Mm -hmm. yeah talk talk to us talk to someone who is in that space of it's yeah. just it's just a kiss yeah um and and uh, that analogy of the string i got it from my friend peter camero when he was once preaching uh, at crisis the answer ministry sit um i had him preach using that illustration and i borrowed it uh and he basically said that uh, if you took a thin string and wrapped it around your hand 
and you're told to snap free would you snap free the answer is yes you would easily if you wrapped it twice or thrice would you snap free yes you still would but if that same string was wrapped around your hand 20 times and you're told to snap free all of a sudden it's difficult why because it's if its impact on you has increased okay it's the same string the same thickness the same it has not changed but its effect on you has been increasingly because of that snapping out is difficult so the phrase was that the cords of sin are too light to be felt until they're too strong to be broken and that's what we often do with sexual sin we often think oh one kiss won't hurt and that's the string wrapping itself around your hand once all right you know one movie with a sexual sin won't hurt and the small things don't seem to hurt but you realize it's a slow fade casting crowns are in one of their best songs wrote uh, uh, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away it's a slow fade things just tend to fade slowly you don't think that you are uh, you don't think that you are uh, you are fading away you don't think that you are actually messing up but you soon find with time the strings wrap around your hands a number of times and you can't cut off the scripture standard is clear ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 it says but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality so the standard is a hint nothing small don't allow even a single strand of string to wrap itself around your hand guard your heart guard your sexuality my wife and i are very uh, cautious concerning what we watch on tv and we say if we can't watch it with our children we have no business watching it all right if we have no if if we cannot watch the content with our kids then we shouldn't be watching it at all we said we tell ourselves we are also children we are children of god all right and so if it's pg-18 we say oh sorry that's for adults we are children of god we can't watch that you know oh it's it's rated oh it's pg it's pg-21 oh my goodness that's for mature audiences and the only mature one we know is the lord for us babies children of god or oh, we, we cannot watch that so we disqualify ourselves from all entertainment that has nudity and there are times i remember we've been watching a movie and and we and I, I love that netflix nowadays gives a rating so when the movie is starting you know it gives a rating there it says 18 and it says nudity sex violence so you know you know if you proceed as a christian netflix has warned you I thank the Holy Spirit for using those people at Netflix to put those ratings there so that people know in advance, you know. Before, you would not have that kind of rating. So you don't know. And because you don't know, you realize that you start watching a movie, then you realize, halfway, oh my goodness, it's dirty. And there are times in those instances, my wife and I have stopped a movie in the middle of the way and have just done away with it. The other time we went to the cinema, watched this movie, we walked out of it. Why? Because it was not clean. We ought to be very very cautious and guard our hearts with our sexuality sometimes and some of christians and you in the book you have mentioned that some people there are people who don't believe in spiritual warfare and then there are those who mm. are on the extreme side but mm. we find that being caught up in that last and being caught up in the addiction of sexual lust mm. it's a spiritual warfare and and it's evident it has been evident especially in my life through dreams where i've gotten a dream um even ha having have less left uh, that lifestyle still getting a dream that it's so perverted and you I, I had to go back and, and that's when I found out 
it's it was even pride thinking that I'm a better person because I'm a virgin yet um I've compromised in so many areas it, spiritual warfare is real when it comes to last speak on that yeah it, it it is it is a war the battle with sin is a war and um Paul the apostle told us in in Ephesians chapter 6 he said um in verse 12 the weapons of what we, we do we do not fight against flesh and blood you're not fighting against Netflix and YouTube and Instagram. You're not fighting against celebrities and the latest Hollywood actresses and actors who are displaying themselves in nudity. That's not the real battle. He says the real battle is spiritual. He says behind all these natural things, there are supernatural forces. And he says the forces behind are rulers, authorities, uh, powers of this present darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in, this, in, in the heavenlies. And he says, in order to counter that, we need to have the full armor of God. The full armor of God. So we must understand that uh, every battle with sin is a spiritual war. That you're not just fighting the flesh, that beyond the flesh, that you've got a real supernatural enemy whose name is Satan. And Satan has got minions under him who are demons. And for the unbeliever, they've got them captive and they can even possess them. But for us, the believer, they cannot possess us because we have got the Holy Spirit. But what can they do? They can oppress us. They can frustrate our lives so that our sanctification is slowed down, so that our Christian lives are of negative impact, and so that we can live a weak Christian life without spiritual charge. And so you need to be cognizant of the fact that there is a spiritual war and there are spiritual weapons. We'll be given spiritual weapons. We'll be given the belt of truth. And truth comes from the word of God. When you read the word of God, you impact your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit. You charge yourself up to prevent deception from coming your way. Because deception is part of the spiritual war. You are deceived that it's okay to have sex before marriage. That's deception. We're told you have the breastplate of righteousness. This righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. Christ pours your, his grace on you, and his grace, according to Titus 2, 11 to 12, enables you to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions. So when you are tempted, when you are placed where you are tempted, and you are thinking of giving in to immorality, the grace of God empowers you to say no. We often think that the grace of God is only there to cover us after we've sinned. Oh, we've sinned, this grace will be forgiven. The grace of God is double-edged. It also helps us to say no, so that we don't have to sin in the first place. That's the spiritual war. And then we have the shoes of readiness to spread the gospel of peace. We are told, proclaim your faith. Proclaim that you're a Christian. That admission, that confession of your mouth gives you strength. Stand firm. That helps you overcome the spiritual war. That helps you be a witness to others as well. And you don't just become a witness through the proclaim the gospel. Even your life is a witness. You, The way you live in speech, in faith, in love, in conduct, in purity, it's a witness. We're given the shield of faith. We are told faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That the more we hear the word of God, our faith is strengthened. And what are we able to do the shield of faith in Ephesians chapter 6? We extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan. Arrows of fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, shame, guilt, condemnation. Every work that the enemy throws at us, pride, lust, envy, greed, gluttony, wrath, sloth, even witchcraft, divination, sorcery, they're all extinguished by faith. We can pray against them and overcome them. The helmet of salvation, to know who we are, to know our identity, 
that we are the bride of Christ. We are loved, we are accepted, we are affirmed, we are appreciated. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to know who God says we are. That's part of the spiritual war, to overcome the lies of the enemy, to overcome self-hate, self-condemnation, to overcome, uh, to overcome uh, the, the guilt and the shame that overwhelms us when we fall. And then the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We start the Word of God, we end the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Scriptures, when we read them, hear them, study them, memorize them, meditate on them, we get equipped to tear down the lies of the enemy and we trust on the promises of God. When I was battling with, with porn and masturbation, I had a supernatural experience where I actually prayed and I told the Lord to remove this struggle of, 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 of porn on me. And I remember in my prayer, something threw me on the ground. I was thrown flat on the ground. And as I kept praying, I felt this thing on top of me. It felt like a very evil presence. I felt it being dragged up and out of my body. And I felt like it was sucked out of my head like a vacuum. And the next day, the very next day, the desire for porn and masturbation was gone instantly. I'm talking about instantly. You know, I hear many people give testimonies and say, oh, you know, it stopped slowly. For me, I started, you know, one day, you know, it slowly disappeared. And that's okay. That's good. That happens. But for me, it was instantly. The very next day, it was gone. And that's when I realized it was a spiritual war. I was dealing with an unclean spirit that was oppressing me. All right. And so I needed to learn how to fight. And I fought through prayer that day. I didn't know it was there, but I became awake to the spiritual world. I became awake to the fact that there are unclean spirits that oppress us. Okay. There are unclean spirits that oppose us. There are unclean spirits that fight us. Satan stands against us. And what is what are we meant to do? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, stand. Stand therefore. And after having done everything, stand. And it ends in verse 18 by saying, pray at all times. In the spirit pray we pray the word of god we pray we get into deep commitment to pray because that's how the spiritual war is fought so yes there is a real spiritual war and there are people who are extreme about it <clears throat> There are people who think everything is a demon, you know, if your tea is cold, a demon made it cold, you know, uh, you know, if you're feeling, uh, if, if you woke up and it's raining, the demons ruined the weather, no. Um, and there are people who just dismiss it, they say, oh no, this whole thing's about demons, those are just fairy tales, you know, they never exist. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants, wants you to be, he wants you to be in both camps. One, when you are very afraid and you cannot function, when you're afraid of everything. And the other one, when you are very proud and arrogant and you think that there's only this world and yet you forget that there's a whole universe. And even in this universe, we've got, uh, we've got realms within our own universe. We've got realms within our own earth, you know, that we know nothing about. He wants you not to be cognizant of that. But if you're healthy, if you're sound, if you're balanced, you'll understand that, yes, we ought not to be afraid because Christ has conquered death and has conquered the enemy. But at the same time, we ought not to overestimate ourselves. We ought to be humble and we ought to understand that if we break spiritual laws, we will impact our, we will impact, uh, we will have things impact us that we are not ready for. And so we stick within the word of God. We honor the Lord and so that we ensure that the spiritual war is always in our favor. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a practical, um, some some pract practical things that we can do to um maybe to overcome something whether it's fornication or whatever what can i do mm. practically to mm. be out of the cycle of last all right i'll give i'll give you i'll give you an acronym called crack c-r-a-c-k all right so this is the practical application c confess your sin 
This is what you need to do. If you are battling, confess your sin. Find a mature believer. Find someone of the same sex. Find someone who you can uh, talk to and confess your sin. By confessing, you, you remove the power that lust has over you. All right? Confession is important because it silences the darkness that is screaming in your head. R, repent. Repent means turn around. Start to agree with God. Stop fighting God's word. That means a change of mind. Agree that God's word is true. Agree that the Bible is true. Agree that God's word is final. Agree. All right? Make that agreement. Tell yourself, I will no longer fight the Bible. The Bible is true. All right? A, avoid or abstain. Find those areas where you feed. All right? And get rid of them. Is it your movies? Is it your, is it your entertainment? Is it Instagram? Get rid of them. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Gouge it out. Imagine. Get rid of the source of sin. Cut it off. If it means that you stop uh, deactivate your Netflix account, deactivate it. All right? <clears throat> you don't get rid of the thing that prevents you from getting intimate with your savior. And then C, company. Check your company. Who are the people around you? You cannot rise above your company. If you decide that you're going to wait for sex until marriage, but all your friends around you are fornicating, you're not going to make it. All right? Choose friends who are going to work with you. And at times, it's necessary to be alone for a season in life. So that you can necessarily, so that you can attract the right kind of friends. And at times you normally think, but I'll have no friends. Listen, God always has a remnant. If you declare your stand and you lose five friends, God will bring five other friends who love the Lord. There's a lady who kept saying that I stood up for the truth. I decided to say that this is what God said, this is what I stand by. And I lost three friends. And for every three friends I lost, I gained eight other friends. And she said she was shocked at the number of people who are out there who love the truth, who want the truth, but they are silent. And they just need one person to stand up and speak, this is the truth, and then they yoke onto them. And she says her friendships changed in one year. Imagine one year she had a totally new set of friends. She thought she'd be lonely. She wasn't lonely. She got the friends. They were there all along. She just needed to be brave enough to walk away from the old ones. Then finally, K, knowledge of the word of God. Develop a daily habit of reading the word of God, hearing the word of God, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it. You must have a daily devotion with the Lord. Wake up early in the morning, read the Bible, pray. <clears throat> if you do this, you grow your spirit, man. You strengthen him. And when you strengthen him, all you, what, what you start to discover is that you'll get strength to overcome even those things that you're trying to avoid. You'll realize you'll not constantly be on edge. You'll realize you'll get the stamina to say no, the stamina to overcome and to start to the very end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I know we've spent quite uh, a lot of time here, but... There is something also interesting because I'm single, my friends, all of them are single. And when I send them this podcast, I'd like also, I'd like them to hear this. When you're talking about loving your partner even before you've met them. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, we, we single people look forward to marriage, you know, uh, you look forward to the day when you'll meet this person that you'll spend the rest of your life with and uh, uh, you'll enjoy the gift of sex. And uh, it's good to dream. It's good to hope. It's good to anticipate. And we normally say when I get there, I will love them. I will take care of them. I'll do all these things. And that's good. I will tell them you don't need to wait until you get there. You can start now. You can start loving your partner, even though you've never met them. Even though you've never met him, never met her, you can start loving them. You can start to live a sexually pure life for them. 
You can actually say, I'm going to give them my body as a gift. I'm going to demonstrate my love for them by waiting patiently. I'm going to demonstrate my love for them by not putting drugs in this body. I'm going to demonstrate my love to them by not putting dirty images in this brain. I'm going to demonstrate my love for them by not putting dark conversations in my mind. I'm going to demonstrate my love for them even before I meet them. I'm going to live a pure life. I'm going to walk with Christ. When they meet me, they're going to meet me and they're going to say, wow, they are really the one. And so we want you to be obsessed, not in finding the one, but in becoming the one. Everyone is looking for the one. Everyone is saying, where is the one? I need to find the one. This should be your strategy. Don't look for the one, become the one. And when you become the one, you'll soon find the one very quickly. But if you focus on just finding the one, you may keep chasing, keep chasing, and never find them. And even if you do find them, they will say, well, I am the one, but you're not the one for me. You want to love your spouse even before you meet them. Love your spouse right now. Live a pure life. Honor the Lord. Work on yourself. Build yourself. Work on your physical body. Train your body. Let your body look good. Don't overeat. Don't be overweight. Take care of your body. Why? So that it is a gift to your partner. That is one of demonstrating love to your partner even before you meet them. Yeah, thank you so much, Ernest. Before I let you go, I'd like you to share uh, the, some of the resources. Uh, we have discussed Last in the City. Let's know, let us know where we can find the book, also your blog and your podcast. All right, so uh, you can follow our podcast. It's called the Relationship Center Podcast. You can just search that. We are podcasts are found, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, just uh, Anchor FM. Just search for the Relationship Center Podcast. You will find us. Uh, you could also go to our blog, Penstrokes, www.penstrokes.co.ke, and there you can find uh, our blog. That's where we, we minister. Uh, you can also go to our website, www.trcenter.org, trcenter.org, and find out more about our ministry. You can also, on, when, once you're on Penstrokes, you'll find a few links that will lead you towards getting some of our resources, like our books. Uh, and we have our new book, Basics, uh, the second edition, coming out soon. So uh, if you're on our website and on our links, you'll be able to see that. Um, and also attend some of our events. We've got a premarital class. We've got a men's pornography addiction recovery program called Powerhouse. We've got uh, a session called Boy Meets Girl, which we are revamping this year, bringing it back in August. Uh, it's a session for singles, Boy Meets Girl. We'll be having that in August. So if you follow me on Facebook, Anes Wamboye Wakusama, or at Iwamboye on Twitter and, and Instagram, or even follow our pages, Boy Meets Girl, KE, uh, or Penstrokes, our Penstrokes page, You'll get all this information, and I'm sure it will be of a good, it will be of a blessing to you. Last on the city is a free resource. So if you go to um to, if you go to penshop.penstrokes.co.ke, that is penshop.penstrokes.co.ke, you'll find Last on the City. You can download it for free. You'll find other books there that are also available for sale. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ernest. Uh, may God Thank bless you. you and increase you for serving this generation. It's awesome. been an honor talking to you. Yeah. Bye, Shelmith. The honor has been mine as well.